Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers hosted by me, Patrick Rapatamaro, and Hats on Lamp. It's episode 95. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little net analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we are saying farewell to Empire of Glass. Set 10 is gone. Set 11 is shortly on the horizon. In fact, the draft preview event might already be happening by the time you're listening to this. Um, but uh, we, so we have a few spoilers, but as always, when we say goodbye to a set, we do a little, a, a short sunset show to the set and kind of talk about, do a, a set in review instead yeah. of a set review. <laughs> set in review. Yeah, gonna reminisce and then look forward to New Horizons. It'll be nice. Yeah, well, that's that's wow. That's a much more positive reaction than your usual reaction to these sunset shows. This this I'm I I have a much more positive feeling about this format than usual <laughs> at the end of it. <laughs> that's why. Yeah, I don't I mind agree. talking about it because I don't think it's as broken as the as the two formats before it. So it's nicer to talk about for the most part. Yeah. And I, I also think the fact, I mean, I know it has been marred with the draft packs a little bit, but switching back to the uh this the draft pack orders and like going back to sort of original set 10 like a draft format was like kind of nice because I really enjoyed it. So it was like a nice palate cleanser, uh, you know, as compared to usually we're in this like weird wonky draft pack change format at the end. And we're like, I don't know what's happening. Nothing makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think this format ended strong. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it makes sense the way the draft packs right now uh different enough from the first format that it's still kind of interesting to play even though i haven't actually been playing much of it but uh yeah yeah i think they did okay yeah so that's good and uh yeah and i mean it was good enough that the draft open didn't ruin <laughs> ruin it for us so no no it did not um i even even with the uh yeah even with the bot packs uh, thoroughly infesting uh the draft open um you know i did respectably uh, i i think i i made some mistakes at the beginning of the of the open with my my first draft uh just going for Rakano, which is not a consistent deck for me uh and uh, but as soon as I settled into drafting weird Combray decks, splashing for two factions, <laughs> I was doing great. If I'd done that the whole time, definitely would have been top 64. <laughs> that's, that's, my lesson is just don't draft as though you're doing anything special. Just draft like you normally do, as much of a maniac as you feel like being, and then, uh, and then see, where the, see where the cards fall. Yeah. Chips yeah, fall? It, Dice fall, chips fall. The chips Cards fall. fall. See where the chips fall. <laughs> yeah, I guess cards falling doesn't matter unless you're playing Chaos Orb. Only Chaos Orb. Yeah. Yeah, I saw some people uh, somewhere on the internet uh, trying to design 
uh, versions of Chaos Orb that could actually be played legally in tournaments now, but would could preserve the original spirit of a card that you were supposed to like flip onto the table and destroy everything that it touches. Uh, and it was neat. It was neat to see people trying to somehow tackle that. Yeah, it's funny. I've been, uh, this is, we're going way off topic, especially mm-hmm. if you have no idea what Chaos Orb is. But <laughs> I tried to describe, that is literally what it is. What I just said, that's what it was. <laughs> it yeah. was an early Magic the Gathering card that you would flip onto the table and it would destroy anything it touched. <laughs> yeah. So I, I listened to uh, a, a Magic podcast that's exclusively about vintage called So Many Insane Plays. Mm-hmm. And they just had their episode 100. And for their episode 100, they're doing a set review of Alpha, Beta, Unlimited, uh, the original set of Magic. And yeah, sure. I'm in the middle of episode, the fifth part of their set review. Their fifth part is six hours long right now. Jeez. The others have been between three and four. Oh, no. And we're in J's right now. They're doing it alphabetically. Okay. So it's insane. Anyway, it's it's an insane podcast. But it's just these two people that have been playing Magic forever and they love it. But the point of this story, how it relates to Chaos Orb, is when they were talking about Chaos Orb, one of them plays a bunch of these like sort of newer formats that have come out recently about playing like there's old school, there's Alpha 40. It's just like these people with a lot of money and alpha and beta cards that like trying to find ways to play them. But he was talking about how you play chaos orb differently in these different formats, depending on how they rule, how you can use chaos orb, because some of the formats say that chaos orb can only kill one card while some use its original thing where it kills, it destroys every card it touches. So people who play that format, place all of their cards over a card with away from each other so they play these games so that all of their cards are just spread across the table because they play with the original wording of chaos orb as as the rule yeah yeah i remember people used to do that back in the day too yeah back when chaos orb was still legal in tournaments (laughs) exactly somehow Um, anyway i'm not sure how we got there Onto Chaos Orb? I don't know. It's a Chaos Orb. Sometimes it just no, happens. I know, but... Yeah. <laughs> the, only, think... the only way to escape talking about Chaos Orb is to be equally unpredictable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Since the listeners may, don't realize this, but we just had a 15 intermission as my wife came in here with a barking dog. So what were we talking about? The draft open? That was like a Chaos Orb. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I, if we're ta- if we were talking about the draft open, I think we're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I would be ready to move on to the to our next segment if you are. Oh, actually, I got it. I got it. Okay, you were talking about how you did better uh, playing, sort of, once you stopped playing like the the quote unquote decks you were supposed to and played the decks that you wanted to slash were more comfortable with, you did better in yes. this latter part of the tournament. And I kind of felt the same way for myself, except I did it in the opposite order, where my first few decks, I played decks that I 
was kind of comfortable drafting. I played a, a, a couple Huru decks and I played an Argent Port deck. And I did uh, pretty okay there. And then I was went into the fourth draft and what was my record? I needed to five and two to get in to have a 20 and eight record mm-hmm. going into this fourth draft. <clears throat> and then I went three, four. So I did, I did not wait. Yeah. I went three, four. So I did not make it, but I ended up drafting this sky crag deck. And I think sky crag was kind of open, but I kind of realized that I just shouldn't have drafted sky crag. I like sh- should have just drafted what I wanted to draft, which looking back through the packs probably could have happened. You know, I should have tried to be like Stone Scar, a deck I was more comfortable with, or just forced Huru again. Sure. Um, instead of making a Skycrag deck that I was less comfortable playing and ended up, you know, just not working out for me. So I, I think I should have drafted more with preferences, um, which I think relating to Empire of Glass kind of for me is a testament to how good this format has been that there were so many different ways to draft it and still to the end, sort of different opinions on what the best decks were. And people seem to be able to really draft to fit their play style and let it work for them. Yeah, that is the that is the sign of a balanced draft format. Um, even if some factions were better represented than others in our in our spreadsheets, uh, yes. the fact that there are multiple um, sort of you got to have like you you've got to have your sort of B tier strategies that win often enough that um, that you're not doing the same thing in every draft. Yes. Yeah. Cool. So we'll discuss more of that. I think later on we don't have to do it all in this introduction here. Um, but we'll move on to patrons, because exciting news, we have a new patron this week. Yay, new patron! Yeah, so Demo signed up for our um, garlic tier, which is a uh, popcorn tier until we have more garlic, which will not be till August. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, can't help it. That's when we harvest it. So thank you, Demo, for signing up for the patron. We'll it's a seasonal. Have... It's a seasonal tier. <laughs> it's, a seasonal, it's a seasonal tier. Uh, seasonal exactly. food tier. Hats is still getting a kick out of this seasonal food tier that we have that he never knew about for 40 episodes. I am. It brings a smile to my face. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Steve Irwin can attest. Uh, they sent a. They sh- had a picture of their popcorn that they got in the mail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yep. And now that I've done it once with popcorn, I, I, I know the trick. So I'm going to have a cheaper shipping rate this uh, next time, which I'm very excited about. Because I asked the lady, I was like, I want to ship this popcorn. And then she's, I asked for a thing. And then I did all this thing. And I closed the envelope. And I signed it. And then she weighed it. And she's like, oh, it would have been a lot cheaper if you'd shipped it this other way. And I was like, why didn't you say it? You're the professional. Yeah. You knew what I wanted to mail. <laughs> Why didn't you mention that there was like weight things or <laughs> like tell me my options here? Yeah, that's uh, 
that's that's weird. <laughs> yeah, it was a little weird. Yeah, she's like, oh yeah, you could have done this with a uh, priority. You would have gotten a free envelope. It would have been a cheaper flat rate. And I was like, oh, interesting. Huh. Seems like you really got unlucky with this person. <laughs> it, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's a small, it's our small local post office, so it, it sort of can't be helped. It's just that one person, sure. Yeah, I tried to pay with cash, and she couldn't figure out how to open the safe to get to her change. Yeah. So then she's like, you sure you don't have a credit card? And I was like, well, I can pay with a credit card. But anyway, that's the story of shipping Steve Irwin his popcorn. I hope he appreciates it. Yeah. <laughs> you too could have a story such as that if you sign up for the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also, we, as, as always, we like to thank our veteran patrons too. And uh, yeah, and... Let it be known, Steve Irwin, he, he called my hand, or what? what is it? Called my bluff? Called, called your bluff? Yeah, I didn't, wasn't really bluffing, but he definitely, he forced me to look at my Patreon account, and so now I, I've scrubbed all our supposed patrons, who are not actually patrons anymore, from this list. Oh, really? Well, so, it looks like so the we same now list. Have an, what? It looks like the same list to me. Well, that's because we have a lot of dedicated patrons. Oh, great. Well, this is good news. But uh, there were a few scrub names. Okay. But uh, anyway, so our veteran patrons, thank you. So thank you to Steve Irwin, Cotillion, Loki Trickster, Mercurial Blue, Abednego, Meagles, Madness, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hacks, Jed the Hamred, Raven Dragon, Esrit0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yistap. We appreciate your support month after month. Yes, we do. Yeah. And I apologize for the awkward sip. <laughs> sip time. <laughs> it's awkward sip time. <laughs> I was thirsty in the middle of a thought. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Well, the problem is I'm 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 getting a one hour into our conversation punchy here, but since we talked for about forty five minutes before we started recording, we're starting the podcast punchy. It's good time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and uh, so we kind of talked about this already. Um, our draft weeks. But do you have anything else you wanted to say about I mean, the draft was... weeks? Or- I draft talked about open. the draft open a little bit, but uh, I, I have drafted a couple of times um, just to sort of get myself back into the mode of playing Eternal before we recorded this. And uh, those drafts did not go well, so I'm probably not going to be hopping back into it until the new cards uh, come out. But I think it's fitting that today, this very day when we're recording our Sunset episode, I got trounced worse than any other game of Limited in eternal ever uh and that was uh <laughs> that was that was against um a player who on uh a turn two on the draw played a watchwing support and then on turn three played a watchwing support uh and then on turn four played a watchwing support and then didn't play anything because they hadn't drawn a, a weapon or a unit yet for two more turns but I didn't put quite enough pressure on to kill them. Uh, and then they finally drew uh, a unit, emoted something, some sort of celebratory emote, 
and then played a 27-27 unit. <laughs> the first unit. They, in their hand, in their opening hand, they must have had three Watchwing supports and nothing else, and just sigils, because they had they played no other units. And so they played a 27... And I still could have won that game, um, uh, because I had you know a few units on board, and I could have just kept attacking into it, uh, and then playing a blocker. But then their next... Uh, play was uh, was the Valkyrie that gets life steal um, when you it has a rena- when uh, its renown is activated uh, and they played a Malaga munitions on that so now they had a fifteen fourteen <laughs> <laughs> life steal flyer and, and that is when I took a screenshot posted it in our salt uh, Discord <laughs> in our in the salt channel on our Discord and resigned. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, well, okay. My your Eternal's feelings about me playing it have been known. Yeah, that that is quite the game, but we talked about this beforehand. I think at one at some level, I know it's frustrating, but you just have to be like, wow, you did it. You've, you know, they must have been so excited. Yeah, yeah, their excitement um uh, is probably worth more than my momentary disappointment. Uh, sure. <laughs> it's fine. How was your draft week, other than the tournament? Uh, my draft week, other than the tournament, was okay. I, um, uh, you know, in our last episode, we talked about the uh, me posting a divergent duplicate draft in the Discord, and I finished that draft. 7-0. I finished my games after the tournament, so then wow. I sort of made me feel like I still sort of knew what I was doing, which was good. Not that I did bad in the draft tournament. I think 18-10 was a respectable respectable record for how much I play and devote to the game. Sure. Yeah. And um, and then I um, I also this week streamed twice, which was kind of fun. I I don't get to do that very often, but I had a couple free nights and a bunch of people showed up to the stream. It's always fun, even uh, you know, even when there's not that much constant chatter. Uh, you know, listeners to the show and stuff can you know stop in and say hello and get to talk for a minute and then yeah, keep playing my games. So yeah, that is nice. I had I had some fun doing that. I'm gonna try to. I say this all the time, and then it's really hit or miss whether I actually can or not, but maybe try to do that again soon. Cool. And then I've just been, you know, doing my usual slightly above average drafting record. Yeah. Sounds good. We're both in a fine, fine place. Yeah. I think it's a, I'm in a a fine place for, for for ending the format. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely uh, glad that they're, they're going to be bringing new cards out soon. How are you feeling about like the prospect of a like a, another three weeks of draft of bot packs? Oh, I don't think it's. I uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll I'll feel like um, starting to play a lot of a lot of Eternal again. But I I think that I'm um, fine just dipping my toes in the water here and there uh, for mm-hmm. now, and and so I don't think it'll bother me that much because my chances of of doing well are are going to be as good as anybody's uh, during the drop the bot pack era. 
Uh, that's interesting. I always felt like it was the other way for me, where like I really didn't want to play during the bot drafts because I was playing so few times that I couldn't really even out the bot pack variants. Like if I did two drafts during the bot packs and my packs weren't good, then it just like felt really miserable as compared to if you did like 10 or 15 drafts, then like you had some really good ones, you had some really bad ones, but at least you got to taste both ends of the spectrum. I mean, uh, we'll see how I feel after, uh, after, after I try it out. I usually like playing during the um, during the preview event, especially uh, just because it's 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 a format that only lasts for a short time, but not it does it lasts like just long enough, you know, because it's about a week long, and it's longer than say a cube where I just can't play it enough times to get a handle on it, and it's much less time than the sort of long drag of the main format. So it's kind of fun to develop a, a strategy and see if uh, like see what's totally broken because usually there's something that's really broken in the in the preview format. Um, in the last one, I had a. a a deck with five drifting drones and who knows how many Malaga munitions. And that's just unbeatable. And it was fun to do just silly things like that. Yes. Yeah. And I also think that I haven't done many of them, but the last one I did for set 10 and it was pretty interesting because it's also one of the few times where you're drafting four of the exact same packs, which is yeah. a totally different experience. Right. Right. Um, that was a lot of fun for me. Uh, okay, so card of the week. Um, uh, yeah, I haven't selected a card of the week, so let's talk about your card of the week. Yeah, so dear listeners, know that Hats wanted to cancel card of the week. Um, we just have so many topics to cover this week. I figured <laughs> we didn't need it. But Patrick was so excited, so excited about this brand new card to talk about. <laughs> No, that's not true. I think this is a great card to talk about. Um, it's Waystone Gate, which mm -hmm. uh, is, I think, a well-known card for those of you who've been drafting for a while. It's boosted in the current format um, at 10x. It's an uncommon, and I think it was from set 8. And it is a three-time relic, and it says you can pay three to draw a sigil from your deck. And after your third use you sacrifice it huh? and then and then it says if what is it if this is destroyed if this is goes to your graveyard on your turn you get to play an 8-8 for free yeah that's right um so this was kind of the uh scourge of the, the original format it was in and Direwolf has brought it back in the draft packs uh, a few times since then, sometimes to very broken results, like when they have uh, left right lobotomy or consuming greed mm -hmm. in the packs. And consuming greed is in the current packs. As is lobotomy. Is lobotomy? Yep. I guess lobotomy is not boosted, though. No, it's boosted right now. Really? I, I, haven't I, never... seen... I haven't seen it a lot either, but it, it is. <laughs> I don't huh. know. Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. So I do think, I guess, Waystone Gate does have the potential to be problematic because those are two cards that have made it problematic on certain occasions. But 
I guess I just, I've seen some chatter around and tend to agree that I feel like Waystone Gate is probably at its worst that it's ever been. And it's really made me think about how much cards can change depending on the format or environment they're in. And I think one of the reasons Waystone Gate um, is not as good as it usually is is just that this format in general has been so aggressive and you can get so punished. And that's kind of what happened in one of my drafts this week is I drafted an Elysian deck with three Waystone Gates. And I really, I knew in my heart of hearts that I shouldn't have played all three of them, but I kind of just like wanted to because it's a fun card and I like drawing sigils and, and it can be so powerful. And I played three fire decks in a row and they all more or less killed me on turn five or six. And my Waystone Gates did absolutely nothing for me. Um, I played one every game and then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then died. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I, uh, and I had uh, the experience uh, in, in the draft open, the big tournament, uh, where my two decks that did by far the best were, had Waystone Gate in them. And it was good in those in those games uh it was good the way that it always was back in set eight um and uh and i had co- like i i had consuming greed in one of those decks and i was splashing for it because i had waystone gate in the deck um i'd never actually did manage to uh play a consuming greed and eat a waystone gate um but it was a possibility and it definitely would have won any game where i did that so I don't know uh, those decks, and I and I was up against aggro a few times. People were drafting aggro in the draft open like they normally do, and I just had core tap maximizers and other ways of dealing with early aggression, and just never got run over. Um, I don't know why, and it's not a huge sample size. I did it twice, and it was and it worked really well, but um, uh, that doesn't mean that if I tried it again, it would work. Uh, maybe I just got lucky twice, but it was notable to me that just drafting Combray um, and just playing Waystone Gate as though it's the the bomb that it used to be worked fine <laughs> for me yeah. in this case. Yes, yeah, I I guess I I don't want to say that it's a it's bad in this format necessarily, or that you can't make it work. It has not felt like the game winning bomb or a card you would just splash in any deck you know like in that format it was a much slower grindier format there were corrupted units that really gummed up the board in every color more or less and so that was one of the problems i think in that format with waystone gate is because it was single time influence literally every deck more or less would would play or splash a waystone gate because it was just so good. Yeah, and also I time was very strong in that set. Uh, we yes. don't think of time as being strong in this set, so yeah, uh, like so waystone gate was sort of like a powerful card on top of a list of other powerful time cards. Yeah, and I also got a little unlucky. Like in my deck, I had two um, core top. Uh, core tap maximizers and I just like I drew my three waystone gates and never drew my two core tap maximizers to help me stay alive and you know so there was some bad variants but it was just like 
Um, it was that experience mixed with uh, hearing a couple a couple people say similar things that kind of made me think about it and want to talk about it on the podcast is I because I do think that this the like Waystone Gate and then also um, uh, the drone uh, what's it called drifting drone sure, like sure. your drifting drone story about how much the power of that card changed from the preview event to the actual set 10 yeah um, is really a, a, some good examples of you really need to evaluate cards in their current environment slash context. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So here's our seven win run breakdown. This is our longstanding data collection project here at Farming Eternal, where our listeners can send in their seven win drafts. They do to farmingeternal at gmail.com. Post them in the seven win channel of the Farming Eternal Discord. And either export a deck list or any kind of eternal war cry link. And then we take this information, we compile it in a spreadsheet and do some data analysis on it to draw some conclusions about the format as a resource for people to look at to see what's winning or doing well. And uh, also as an opportunity to shout out everyone who did well this past week in a draft. Uh, and as always, thank you to John Holio for entering all of these lists. Well, my clever ploy from last week to sync up John Holio's entering lists in our show notes, I think, failed. So okay. this list may be exactly the same as last week, uh, but eventually we're gonna we're gonna get this. I think eventually John Holio and I will be on the same page. Okay, but I, but I'm still gonna read these names okay. because. There's your. It's they, you know, they still deserve all the accolades they mm -hmm. got. Yeah. So uh, thank you to Abednego, Apricot Knight, Ash Acer, Beer Broken, Celtic Guardian Seven, Chated Collector, Cotillion, Darth Harmon Two, D Dubs, mm -hmm. Fast Cookie, Full Robot, Gunner One One Six, Hats on Lamps, Ip Long No, Jed the Hummer, John Avon, John Holio, Meadow, Old Rich, Out on a Limb, Patamaro, Raven Dragon, Steve Irwin, Tempest Dragon King and vader we really appreciate you taking the time to submit a list uh two weeks ago and um we hope you continue to do that in the future so. or or if this is the correct list <laughs> great congratulations <laughs> yeah, thank you a, a normal congratulations to you too mm -hmm. um so as this is the sunset show um, I do want to say thank you, uh, give out our final stats for the, um, for the whole format. We had, uh, close to 800 lists submitted this format. So that's really awesome. Um, it's also kind of interesting how the format didn't change a whole, the, the color preferences didn't change a whole lot as the format evolved, despite Direwolf sort of tweaking and tuning. So Fire and Justice continued to be the top two colors through all three form, to, through all the iterations. Shadow number three, and then Time and Primal in last place. So that was kind of interesting to me. And then as a final farewell, I thought I'd give, in, the, in our received deck list, the top commons from each of the colors. Are you ready? 
I'm ready. Fire. Barricade Basher with 396 copies. In time, send for the reserves with 202 copies. Justice, send to market with our number one card, uh, 405 copies. And then Primal, Mavaloft Elite with 189 copies. Shadow, Shoal Dredger with 302 copies. Congratulations yeah. to you five comments. <laughs> and then, uh, unsurprisingly, in the uncommons, Auto Tread, our number one uncommon, followed by Martial Efficiency, then Vine Grafter, then Metal Fang, and then Red Plate Crasher. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. And then, <laughs> this is just not really related, but I <laughs> the top multicolor uncommons. Just to show you the disparity in the power level of the 10 um, multicolor uncommons that we got. Number one is Metal Fang with 134 copies. Number two is Deathwing with 74 copies. And number three is Stone Scar Painting with 40 copies. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> the other eight didn't even make it on the list of our top three. Anyway, so that was uh, less useful, more fun, I guess. Uh, in a, a very loose definition of fun, but we are on to our main topic here. Yay! <laughs> so, as always, we do a little sunset show, so we have a few questions that we ask each other, and then we answer, and we say goodbye, and then we talk about some new cards. So, the first thing that we always ask is, what is your one-sentence summary of set 10? And I would say... How does this deck beat Basher? <laughs> and that's uh, that's a that's been a question since the beginning of the format. Barricade Basher, the five five for three, where you discard a card when you play it, um, and it attacks every turn. Uh, it's so much damage on the board so quickly uh, that you uh, kind of have to. You don't have to have a plan because not every deck you're playing against is going to play a Barricade Basher on turn three. But you will lose games if your deck is incapable of dealing with that specific situation. Um, and and uh, and so that was always kind of a question when I was trying to figure out how to play the format, is if I'm not drafting Basher, what am I doing that's as powerful as that? Um, and Or how do you just kill the thing uh, if someone plays it against you? Um, and then how do you deal with than playing a barricade basher and then a laser blast on your largest blocker next turn. Is there any way of even dealing with that? Uh, it, it's it's a card that warped the format so much that uh, it, it fundamentally changed how powerful I thought certain cards were and uh, and like how high I, I took them. Because any card that was capable of dealing with basher on a one-for-one -one basis was so much uh, more like uh, it was just like worth so much more than it would in a format um, that had just normal units uh, attacking you for a normal amount of damage on turn four. <laughs> yes, yeah, I I don't think I could really beat that as a great one sentence summary of of the format. You know, the the thing that this format it. Uh, invoked 
in me, I don't really have a good way to summarize, but it's just like it really felt like the format evolved a lot. And as I think the community explored more, like more and more decks became viable. You know, like really for the first month, it felt like you were either drafting Rakano or or you just like weren't doing it right or whatever um when yeah yeah it did feel that way i had a lot of success with Rakano at the beginning of the format too but just because sort of nobody knew how to deal how to cope with it (laughs) yeah (laughs) on the receiving end of it and then as the community figured that out you know like argent port started to move up and then this like huru deck came out and then you know it just like it constantly felt like it was shifting a little bit as the community was discovering sort of these new decks and how to use these cards to counter the other strategies. Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess that goes into, for me, the how did you like the format? So I I, I really liked the format. I especially liked the um, the format when it was set 10 pack then draft pack draft pack set 10 the middle format where it kind of we got this weird five color thing for a while and the signals got all confusing you know i was a little mixed on that um but i think there were a lot of cool cards in this format there were i think as direwolf seems to really like some very strong uncommons that sort of warp the format when they're played maybe a little bit too much but i think this format had a lot to explore it had a lot to learn from and just had a lot of really fun cards and fun gameplay and and i liked the aggro decks and i liked my own little like stone scar decks that i played a lot and it was just really cool uh yeah um yeah, and I, I liked it a lot, too. Uh, it just sort of clicked for me right away. Uh, and um, and I, was, I, I also was worried that uh, fire decks were going to dominate the entire format. But then when I started looking at what was actually working for me, it wasn't even really base fire. Um, and so I was... Uh, I, I, I like tribal formats because I, I like trying to sort of balance um what type my units are with uh with how good they are individually you know like whether how much the synergy uh the the tribal synergy should be should be influencing the deck that i'm drafting um and uh and even though it was uh a, a very it seemed to be a very strong tribal format at the beginning it ended up that a lot of other uh sort of more interesting synergies did actually uh were actually the thing that you needed to focus on um but then those tribal decks still did exist if you if just every now and then you would get a draft that was just really good with sentinels or really good with valkyries and then that was fun it was fun to have another thing that you could do if all the cards came together so yeah um yeah it felt pretty well balanced not a, it's almost impossible i think to balance a format so that all five factions are equally powerful i would not want to try to do that myself but <laughs> i think they did a decent job because i was playing all five factions and enjoying it um 
and there have been other times when primal feels like a pit that you can't ever draft and it wasn't like that this time do you know what all the mechanics were for this set off the top of my head uh i mean regen was one of the big ones oh yeah regen that was new regen was new yeah, regen was new. It was like regen, plunder, and... Not plunder, regen, all the market access. And... Yeah, uh, but then all of the uh, all of the tribes had, had their own theme. Uh, I guess not all of them were, like, keyworded, but there were mechanics that went with, the, went with each three-faction wedge that contained a tribe. So, you know, right. Valkyrie Warp was a thing wasn't common enough that it felt like a major mechanic of the set um yeah but yeah you know. okay yeah it's kind of interesting i guess the question i asked is i was like i i wonder if the key like the mechanics of this set just really sat with me but when i <laughs> when we go over this hodgepodge list we just made i don't think that was because like regen was actually just kind of an annoying <laughs> and yeah. i think kind of an annoying mechanic there's only uh-huh. a handful of cards that actually have regen that were, I mean, I don't know if there there were like maybe five different cards that you would actually see during a normal draft. Yeah, no, exactly. And Valkyrie Warp was more or less non-existent except in the most like unfun, obnoxious way. And uh... yeah, uh, yeah, it didn't feel like it was a. Uh... I don't know. It didn't feel like a mechanic-driven set, actually. It felt like there were a lot of different sort of sub-themes and, and mini-synergies between cards, and there were uh, enough cards that were really useful across the board. I mean, Amplify was a mechanic, for sure. Um, yes. But, uh, again, like not so crazy prevalent that it was... Um, like every now and then you would do an amplify deck, but it was more just a feature in in uh, in other decks. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I just I guess it's it was also cool that like a lot of the decks had characters and it wasn't really based on some new set mechanic. You know, like the Stone Scar deck with the Shoal Judger and the Mandrakes putting stuff in the graveyard. Like I think that really worked in this set um with the the void stuff and then you know i flyers amplify is always great because it allows you know the useful early game and like late game and then plunder being on a lot of pretty good cards really added consistency to the format so i don't know yeah really cool format so what faction ended up being the best in your opinion uh for me justice definitely uh if you were if you restrict uh, the deck archetypes to just the two faction decks that include Justice, all of them were good. Uh, Rakano was was very good, uh, not for me, but for everyone else. Um, Argentport was was very good. Uh, the the Huru deck was uh, sometimes the best deck in the format if it came together. Uh, and then if you were going to draft time, there wasn't really a better way to do that than than with Combray. Uh, that's because all of all of the justice commons are playable and go in pretty much any justice deck. And then it has the best uncommon in the format, martial efficiency, or behind auto tread, apparent apparently, although I'm not I think it's not um 
definite there. I think martial efficiency might actually be better than auto tread. And uh, and then also the best rare. So um, <laughs> justice was just the best was just the best faction. Fire, yeah. I think, was more explosive. Like uh, fire killed people so dramatically that it was um, that it feels it feels like the most powerful faction. But when you actually look at the cards, you need very particular cards for it to function that way. Um, the a good third of them are barely playable. Yes. Yeah, I I uh, agree with that. I do think Justice probably was the most well-rounded color uh, by far. Um, and yeah, I you know Fire. Yeah, pe- yeah, yeah. Just what you said. People love Fire. I think Fire was a good, a very strong color. Basher, like we said, it was the most warping card of the format, but. I think there's probably a debate for both of them, but I did like Justice just because Justice was a much more versatile color. Um, and then Shadow is probably my favorite color, and in, <laughs> but definitely not the best. But you could just do a lot of fun things with Shadow in this format. Yeah, it was a fun. It was a fun deck. The whole Shoal Dredger, um, uh, Mandrake deck was was uh, Darkwater Vines deck was uh, really neat. Yes. And we haven't seen anything exactly like it before, so it was it was neat to have that available. All right, and then so what were your final top commons in each color? Well, they're exactly the same as <laughs> as what we read earlier from the seven wind traps. Barricade Basher, Send for the Reserves, Send to Market, uh, Mavel off the lead and Shoal Dredger. Those are definitely the best commons, is in my opinion. I guess. Uh, I guess I can't say definitely in my opinion, but I just did, and I stick by it. Um, but yeah, send to market. Well, you, you, what? Oh, I was going to say you have an interesting note here in the show yeah. notes about how uh, after the send to market nerf. I do. Uh, it's a lot harder to pick a best justice common after send to market. Now that send to market costs six, I don't think it's nearly as good as when it cost five. It really feels bad to play now. Um, and and it's hard to choose a justice common after that. As I said, they're all playable. Um, but which one is the best? And I would have to go with Stairs Beckoning, which is the three justice spell that creates two one one flying Valkyries. Um, there, uh, I, I thought about it, and every single other Justice Common, uh, including, um, oh, uh, Bastion Gatekeeper and and uh, uh, Gravity Glove, uh, I wouldn't play an unlimited number of them in my deck, but Beckoning, I would play an unlimited number in my deck, <laughs> and I would be happy to do it. I'd be like, great. I'm playing all of the Styrus Beckonings. What's my opponent even going to do? <laughs> I'm attacking with a million things in the air, and that's literally all I need to do to win a game. Yeah. Huh, that's that's interesting. I still don't know. Like, I guess the other one that I we forgot, I didn't mention was, you know, Side Street Monitor. They just had, it's funny, they had, like, those four comments, which are all great, and all, I think, <laughs> about equal power level so that it's hard to choose. Yeah, and Monitor's a good card. Uh, but 
it, it happens all the time where you have to choose between monitor and stairs beckoning. And I'm almost always going to go with beckoning. I don't know. Like, I can't even think of a case where I definitely prefer monitor unless I've got a lot of sentinel synergy or I've got particular weapons that I want to put on something that has regen. Even then, though, usually I'm going to want to put those weapons on one of my flyers so that if it gets killed, I've got another one. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think I still pack one, pick one, pick Bashing Gatekeeper as the two drop, but... Maybe for the first pick, yeah. Yeah, but then uh, once I have a Bastion Gatekeeper or, say, two Bastion Gatekeepers, I don't really want any more. I've had decks with four or five Bastion Gatekeepers in them, and it doesn't work out that well. <laughs> All right, so then uh, this is kind of a curveball one for this set, but what was the best common in set 10? And I I believe it's a Kessa's audience uh, in the end, uh, which is the, yeah, the, it's the one cost... Um, relic that goes in any faction and uh, it plunders when it comes into play. You sacrifice it to, for two to create a 5-5 five, five, uh, Sentinel for five in your hand and then you play that on five and smack with it. Uh, and it's be- it's the best common because it literally can go in any deck and it's good in basically all decks. It smooths out your opening draws and then it provides you a threat later. Like, only the very most aggressive of decks doesn't want to play Okesa's audience. Um, and uh, and they still kind of do, because it makes sure that you're playing on curve and then gives you another thing to uh, to play later. Uh, just a really great card and kind of a good default to pick whenever um, the, a pick is difficult and you're not sure what factions you're in yet. Mm-hmm. So does that mean you're picking this above the other commons? No, like you know, <laughs> it like in a pack one, pick one kind of situation. No, uh, let's say before the send to market nerf, I'm taking send to market over Okesa's audience, um, <laughs> and I'm t- and I'm probably taking. Well, not, not maybe not any of the others though. I probably still take audience over Shoal Dredger, and and maybe over Basher because I didn't. I personally didn't have a lot of luck with Basher decks. Um, so it's close. Only only sent to market I would have taken for sure over audience. Yeah, that yeah, that's interesting. I think yeah, that's always tough. I think I I would probably take Shoal Dredger and probably Barricade Basher over Okessa's audience first pick, but I do think Okessa's audience was was the best common in the sense that it goes in every deck and it's a very good card. So I, I do like you calling that one out there. Um, for me, it, it was always interesting. I know most people probably would say Slam Basher as their number one common, but I I don't know if this is preference coloring my view, but like Shoal Dredger versus Barricade Basher is kind of, was always an interesting pick for me. Yeah, and I definitely would take Shoal Dredger over Basher there because I had so much more success playing Shadow Decks than Fire Decks in the end. Um, yes. But, uh, and Shoal Dredger does eat Barricade Basher. is pretty good if you can get it out early. It's a 7-6. It eats 5-5s five with Reckless. Um, all right. And then now, so following this Okessa's audience thing, so do, do you, what's your pick order for the 
on the colorless cards? The colorless because cards? Because number one. Oh, um, yeah. Well, it would be great if I had them in front of me. Um, doo -doo -doo. Uh, let's see. What are they? They're, there's the raccoon, uh, the Valkyrie, the soldier, the Mandrake, Mandrake. and Okessa's audience. Yeah. It's those five that we're talking about, right? Yes. Okay. Well, in that case, um, audience first, Mandrake second, um, then the soldier, and then the Valkyrie, and then the raccoon. So in exact reverse order of how much they cost, if you count the Sentinel as five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's interesting. How did you feel? Did you were you like I and I'm never going to play Valkyrie emulator type? Oh, of? no, no, I like it. I, th I think emulator is a fine card. Um, uh, it's fine because uh, you can put weapons on it. Um, I, I wouldn't be excited to play it in every deck, but um, just have a, a, like a one two flyer for two is not the worst thing in the world. Um it's fine, and it and and a one-two flyer that smooths your draws, and then you can put a weapon on later is actually pretty good. But there are definitely decks where it doesn't feel like it's worth a slot. Um, and then mm -hmm. and then the raccoon is just a one-one with berserk, and I have played it in decks before, but I've never been happy about it, even with things like side slash to make it do ten damage on turn two or something like that. It's usually not good enough. Yeah, no, it does not sound good enough. <laughs> like, they've um, still got 15 life, and you you got to do something about that. Yeah, and you have a 1-1 a one, one Reckless. You have a 1-1 one, one Reckless now, and you're down two cards, so... <laughs> you're going to need another plan. Uh, yeah. I think some people uh, so... would, put the, would put the 2-1 Regen Soldier above the Mandrake, but in my experience, the Mandrake is just awesome because, of the de because it has Decay. Um... It, it like the the soldier can block a basher for two for two turns. It can chunk block, but the mandrake can make it a two two permanently. And a two two reckless is not nearly as scary as a five five reckless. Yeah, no, I I agree. And man, on the four cost card, having that delayed plunder just felt so sweet. Yeah, yeah, you just could play it and not make the decision until later to. Um, to, to plunder it was uh it was really great yeah i know it, it in some sense because it costs more it was like worse but yeah i liked i like the having uh yeah on an expensive card having having the delayed plunder i wonder if it just now thinking i wonder if the uh that five cost primal primal reckless mandrake <laughs> if, if it Plundered the next turn or something would have been. I think we've I think we've said that before, and yeah, I think it would it would be a better card if it did that because yeah, having plunder on a five cost card is 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 pretty awkward most of the time unless you're yeah. really flooded. Then there's probably nothing in your hand that you want to plunder because you were you played all your sigils and you don't have anything else that's super expensive. So it's like <laughs> it's the most awkward time to plunder. Yeah. All right. So what are your top uncommons? Pretty much the same ones that you that you read earlier. There's only one difference, uh, and these aren't in any particular order. But auto tread and martial efficiency, the head and shoulders above everything else, I think. Vine grafter is close. Well, I don't know. Yeah, vine grafter is pretty great too. 
Um, also, Nectar of Unlife I put up there. Metal Fang and Deathwing. I also included Glenn Scout. Uh, I think Glenn Scout is, is still great. It's just that Elysian wasn't that strong. But um, mm-hmm. if I was playing Elysian and I had Glenn Scout, which is a 2-2 flyer for two um, and amp- with Amplify 3, make a 3-3 Mandrake. Um, if I had an Elysian deck, the more Glenn Scouts that were in it, the better it would do because Glenn Scout's <laughs> a super good card. Um, so it, I still have it up there. And then, uh, and then Red Plate Crusher, uh, Crasher is yeah. definitely a card that I really like. I just thought it was slightly less powerful than these others, but it would have been the next card on this list. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, I think that's uh, the Red Plate Crasher is ended up being a deceptively powerful card. You know, I think it's, it's terrific. Yeah. It's a little uninspired unassuming it's like a 4-4 that gives like a temporary bonus to a a unit but it just it just ends games (laughs) it ends games and it also uh it ends games out of nowhere uh sometimes if you didn't leave up quite enough blockers uh but also it just makes what i i think this is the thing that i've said more than almost any other uh any other thing on the podcast is it makes your early drops relevant because your 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 two twos and three threes get outclassed the longer a game goes and you've then you've got these useless cards on the on the table but um but crasher makes makes them get another attack in and and it'll do a lot of damage if your opponent doesn't want to trade for it and then they're on the back foot and it just like yeah and when you do tra- when they do trade for it, it's just that make- it gives them an impossible choice. I died more or less, not necessarily on the turn. Um, my opponent played Red Plate Crasher, but two of the fire decks that I lost to when I was like playing mono Waystone Gate, um, or they weren't mono fire, but two of the fire decks played a, a Red Plate Crasher. Like the turn, I. After I thought like, oh, I still have a chance. And then they like play Red Plate Crasher on their two drop. And all of a sudden you're like, well, I don't know if I want to trade my only blocker with their two drop. <laughs> and then like, you, you know, it it just like it all of a sudden adds a new attacker that you just weren't accounting for. And you yeah. don't and you're trading down if you do trade for it. It just makes so many awkward situations for your opponent. Yeah, because you're not, it's not doing four damage to your face. It's doing four damage plus whatever thing, whatever unit they're throwing at you. So it's it's a massive like smack to the face for something that costs four and then leaves a four four body. Um, I mean, it's not quite as unbelievable as uh, as as the three three that gives a plus three plus three boost um, mm-hmm. from previous sets. Uh, that's a better card, I think, because it it give it boosts the health as well, so the unit doesn't even die after the attack. But but Crasher is is on is kind of on that level because it's it's huge after it hits the board, and then and and then yeah, it gives the it gives that impossible choice that you're talking about. So yeah, yeah, yeah and then, then that good. was I another thing about. Just... Oh, and that's another thing about Crasher is like four four was. A lot bigger than all the three threes that were, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Around. Yeah, there's not a lot of other things quite that size. There are five fives, but other than um, 
other than Barricade Basher, they don't come down before the Crasher does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I agree with that list. So, what card were you hoping to open in set 10? Uh, <laughs> this is an easy one. The Speaking Circle. Uh, it's legendary. That can go in literally any deck. It costs six, but it turns entire games around. Um, and uh, it, it's factionless. Um, yeah, it's. I don't think I, I've seen people play Speaking Circles uh, a few times in this format. Uh, something like four of them in the in the draft open. Um, like they were all over the place, <laughs> uh, and that's super hard to lose once you play it, because uh, at least one of the three spells that you get to uh, choose from uh, is probably going to stabilize. So yeah, that would be the one. But I don't think I ever did. I have been past the speaking circle before, um, but I I haven't uh, I haven't just opened one. Uh, but that's uh, that's a legendary, and the card that I'm actually hoping to open because it's a rare is Dicro, uh, Dicro Vindicated, uh, which is the only really broken rare in the format, uh, but is super broken because there's no efficient removal for it other than send the market. Yes, yeah, I I I agree. Uh, I did manage to lose a game with. Uh... With a speaking circle in play um, mm-hmm. during the draft open, so it it is possible, everyone. Yeah, it's possible. It's possible. You, <laughs> if you try hard enough, you too can reach these heights. Um, so I I think that's an easy answer for a legendary. The card that I was really hoping to open that I never did open uh, was. Iza Chi Daredevil, which is the uh, fire legendary, uh, the six fire fire six six. When Iza takes damage on your turn, create and draw a random fire card and a non-fire card, and then he gets flying this turn. That's just like super powerful card. You get to draw cards. It's like kind of a build around. Um, so I feel like that would have just been a fun one to open that I I never did open. Did you know that he gets he draws you multiple cards if they double block him? <laughs> it's a dumb card. I have had him in a couple of decks, and yeah, it's pretty good, pretty good. Um, and then I I agree. I I think you have to pick Degrow as your as your rare. Yeah, yeah. There's no competition in this set. Well, there's 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 plenty of good playable rares, but the only one that is like, well, do you have an immediate answer to this? Okay, you're dead. Yeah, is is Dicro. Yeah, and I I think that was most noticeable when we did our rare set review and tried to find rares that were better than martial efficiency and auto tread. Yeah, and uh, really struggled. Hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. So then, um, was there any card you felt you underrated at first, but ended up being better than you thought? Uh, one is Watchwing support. Um, that's <laughs> that's the that's the two justice relic uh, that uh, gives plus two plus two to the next weapon or unit that you draw, um, and then does that again every time you play an attachment, and also has Valkyrie Warp uh, just to add insult to injury. Um, so you can play it from the top of your deck if you control a Valkyrie. That wasn't often uh, that that part. 
that part was really frustrating to me because sometimes I would forget that I had support in my deck and I would do other things. Like, you know, like you'll have like, I've got a Valkyrie in my hand and then a couple of spare mana and I also have a Seek Power, right? Like, so I've got, so I'll play like the Seek Power because that's what I normally do before I play my card. Uh, and then I play my Valkyrie and then I see a Valkyrie warp card on the top of my deck and I realize that I have spent power like because I played Seek Power earlier, uh, now I can't play the Watchwing support off the top of my deck. And I really wish that I could because I really need to draw something other than a relic that doesn't actually do anything on the board. Uh, anyway, yeah. that happens all the time. Valkyrie Warp was was kind of rough that way. Uh, I, I, th- I, I sort of feel like uh, if I really want to be serious about draft going forward, <laughs> that I should keep notes on things like that. Um, just like just a few notes every time I draft a deck and just say, hey, you've got Valkyrie Warp in this deck. Play your Valkyries before you do anything else Oh, if you're not sure what order to do things in a turn. That kind of thing. Just so I can look down and go, oh, yeah, thanks, past me. I know. I don't know, though, if that's like a good thing or a bad thing. Like, I kind of hate that because you're like, you have to play worse on the off chance you have like these three cards just happen to be on the top of your deck. Yeah. You know, it just, I don't know. That kind of stuff frustrates me a little bit. Yeah. That Almost more so really, than the mechanic itself. Valkyrie Warp really didn't play very well. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, Watchwing support, uh, I think because it doesn't affect the board and it felt like, what uh, it feels like other cards that have existed in the past that haven't really been that good where you were giving a plus two, plus two, or, or similar bonus to something that you haven't drawn yet, but you're spending an entire card to do it. It kind of felt like that. But there's enough other attachments in the format, and enough of them are relic weapons that both benefit from Watchwing support and trigger it, um, that support tends to be a super powerful card. Uh, and not just because I got blown out by somebody playing three of them today, uh, but just in general, it seems really good. And then, it, and then there, there's a, a handful of cards that are completely busted with support, like Malaga Munitions and Martial Efficiency. Um, and it's like those combinations aren't going to come up a lot. But the fact that they're completely broken combos means that support it has the potential to be a card that gives you free wins. So, uh, yeah, I under, underrated it at first. Uh, the other one was probably fluctuate reality, but I didn't underrate it as much. Uh, that's the uh, uh, three primal spell uh, that transforms one of your opponent's units into one that costs into a random one that costs two less, or uh, one of your own units into a unit that costs two more, and it has amplify two, so that you can do it from multiple targets on the battlefield. Um, and I suspected it might be good, but I wasn't ready to. Um, to commit to that until I played it a couple of times and played against it a couple of times and realized that it just totally, totally messes up the game uh, and and destroys your opponent's plans uh, most of the time. There are times when fluctuate reality doesn't work out or even create or even turns a unit into something uh, worse uh, or like turns a threat against you into an even worse threat. Um, or makes one of your units worse than it was, or something weird like that. But it, that's so, most of the time, it does exactly what you need it to, which is to, 
to take a problem and turn it into not a problem and take one of or take one of your units that's become obsolete on the board and turn it into uh, an actual threat. I think those two cards really stand out for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the fluctuate reality one. You know, Watchwing support was sort of interesting for me because I think I went on a sort of a roller coaster with that card where for the longest time I just like refused to take it because I was like, it, because <laughs> it was, you know, it feels like a two power do nothing spell. And then you don't, you know, and this was an aggressive format. It felt like you just couldn't spend the time to do that. And then I started taking it more and doing better with it. But then recently, I don't know, I've been kind of off the watch wing support. I've just like played it and built, you know, like played it and then also like built my deck slightly around it and then not really felt the payoff of it. And so that I've kind of gone down and started to feel like it, it the, you know, the juice really wasn't worth the squeeze. Like I could just, I still, in the end, feel like I'd rather just have something that affected the board immediately, most of the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think fair enough. So that's that's kind of where I ended up on the card. For my cards, uh, I think one of the number one cards that stands out for me is Blackout the Skies, which is the one shadow fast spell that enemy player sacrifices a unit with flying of their choice, and then you can amplify four to sacrifice an additional unit with flying. <clears throat> this seemed like unplayable or just a market card, but I we've talked about it before on the show. I think it ended up being a card that you could definitely main deck one at least one of in some decks and you know at the beginning of the format i don't think i would have ever done that. at the beginning of the format i was barely taking them for the like i would <laughs> barely you know dying to let them be in my market let alone main deck it yeah uh i this is another reason why i like uh, uh stairs beckoning over uh side street monitor <laughs> it's just the random <laughs> the random black out the skies sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, th- I think those are t- two good examples for me. Um, what was uh, any card that you overrated? There's a, there's a really easy answer for this for me now is uh, roving workshop, which is an uncommon uh, sentinel. It is, uh, it costs five fire justice, it's a four six, um, and uh, whenever you amplify, um, you create a uh, like a flying unit uh, equal to the number of times you've amplified. So, like if you amplify twice, then you'll get a two two flyer. I thought this thing was bonkers at the beginning of the format because maybe I saw a game where it was, uh, and it turns out that trying to draft Rakano amplify is just very very, very difficult. <laughs> the good, the good, the the best. <laughs> Amplify cards are in primal. There's not very many in fire. There are some, but not not really enough. Um, and like the justice ones, other than martial efficiency, aren't really that efficient. So roving workshop went from like a slam dunk. Oh, this is one of those uncommons that's going to win me the game. Uh, cards to like, mm, is this going to fit into my deck? Do I already have a ton of efficient amplify cards? <laughs> Otherwise, I don't think I need this thing. Um, yeah, that's the one that dropped the most. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. I think for me, this is kind of, I, I think, a less spectacular uh, one, but sort of something we touched on was a drifting drone for me, where after the preview event, I was like, and I had seen just how powerful this card could be. I was like, this is it. We're just drafting all the drifting drones we see. And this is going to be, you know, we're going to be ahead of the curve going into this draft format. And then you're like, oh, when you see half as many of these and half as many payoffs, this card is much worse. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. There wasn't the kind of support in the draft packs for it that there were in set 10. And so you just, it, it was, it was very rare that you would have a deck that was actively good for drone, yeah. but it was still very, very good sometimes, which means, you know, not an unplayable card. Yeah, no, I don't think it was unplayable. Um, I never really got that drifting drone deck to work after, you know, after work, after the preview events, but it, took me an embarrassingly long time to just like realize <laughs> yeah. it was not as good as it once was yeah um well we talked about then, it on the last show uh i had the i had the deck that had four malaga munitions in it and once i had four malaga munitions i was like well any drifting drone i see i'm taking it <laughs> yeah no i and i i yeah yeah, that's it's pretty sweet, and I—I I mean, it's been good for my opponents too. You know, it does work because it works off of uh, relic weapons, so it's not like a non-relic weapon, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It, it works off relic weapons for sure. Yeah, and you so, know, you so can, giving your drone like a boost after you've removed one of their threats with your relic weapon is pretty good. Yeah. So I, it definitely was a playable card, and people made it work, but. I had trouble making it work, and um, it certainly wasn't as good as it was in the preview. Yeah, and then the other card that kind of really stood out to me um, was Mabeloft Quartermaster, which was the five primal three three. When you amplify a card, draw a card for each amplify. Like this card, just like uh, under, it's like an undercosted or overcosted draw engine, which you know, we have had mixed results with in Eternal, but I just assumed I would just be drafting this all the time. Like, <laughs> like that this would be so sweet and I'd be drawing so many cards, drawing so many cards. And I just n never, never did. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I had it in decks that were good, but um, it was just so hard to draft the Amplify deck um, as a as a slow sort of mid-range or control deck. It was so good as an aggressive deck with with inexpensive cards that grew huge when you amplified. It's like, well, if I've already won the game, I don't need to draw any cards. So it just sort of never... Like, the, the support wasn't really there to, to do that, like, grindier um, amplify deck. Although, again, in decks where... Like, if you manage to put an Elysian deck together that's playing, like, Glen Scout and other stuff like that and send for the reserves and just sort of, like, a, a, a cards that actually do scale well, then Elite was fine. Or uh, uh, the, the Quartermaster was fine. Yeah. But it still wasn't the best card in the deck, and it looked originally like it should be. All right. So then uh, what was your favorite type of deck in the format? 
definitely Argentport, um, just because it really, uh, it, it just had by far the highest win rate for me. Uh, the uh, Argentport had, for most of the life of the format, um, the best removal overall, because you had Send to Market for big things. And then you had shadow a, a variety of shadow cards to to kill little things, um, and then you had the relic weapons and justice as well. So a lot of my Argentport decks didn't have a ton of units, but it had a lot of ways to kill units, and I'm pretty happy with that. Um, a lot of my Argentport decks would also splash fire for various things, uh, such as metal fang or auto tread, mostly, um, but usually metal fang, uh, and. Uh, it just was a really strong deck, and I think probably, uh, I think, I, I mean, I definitely for me, the strongest archetype to draft. Um, and it went a couple of different directions. Maybe you had a lot of flyers. Uh, maybe it was like just a removal fest. Um, maybe you had a sacrifice theme, so you were playing, you know, metabot stations. Uh, there were a couple of different ways you could go with it, and a lot of, and you could do the Shoal Dredger, Darkwater Vines thing. Um, it, it, there were a lot of strong ways to build the deck. Uh, and I think that's good for like a faction combination. You don't have to get specific cards for it to be good. You just have so many good commons and other cards to make the deck playable um, that you can go you can go a couple of different directions without it sort of uh, um, without losing the point of drafting those factions in the first place. So yeah, that was my favorite. Um, but my guilty pleasure, uh, favorite deck was Praxis Robots, uh, which is just the aggressive Sentinel deck that basically plays Barricade Basher, um, and then oh, what is the what is the name of the um, Scour? And then like uh, on the next turn, uh, plays a Scourstone Sentinel uh, off of the Barricade Basher and other silly things like that. <laughs> that one's that one's a lot of fun because. Uh, the uh, core tap maximizer, the 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 one one deadly for two that can ramp, plays well in that because you can play laser blast off of it and kill anything. Uh, it when it comes together, I think it's it's the most fun like sort of unbeatable deck uh, possible. It's just that it doesn't usually come together <laughs> because a lot of the cards that you want, like the big the big cool sentinels in the draft packs, are in time and they're uncommon. And so you don't know if you're going to get them or not. And it's a hard deck to build using only commons because there's not a lot of support for it in set 10 in time. The, uh, the Sentinels are, are pretty clunky in time um, in set 10. And so you were kind of taking a chance there. Uh, but yeah, when it came together, I loved it. What was yours? Uh, I think my favorite deck of the format was Stone Scar. It was... I think the deck I had maybe the most success with, I don't know, at least the most fun with. I really liked the Darkwater Vine Shoal Dredger package. I liked when I was able to get the Shadow sacrifice kind of things going. And um, I'm kind of with you. I definitely had my fair share of success with Rakano, but it. I think I had by far the most success with Fire when it was in stone scar like mm -hmm. for me i was i had much more success with scrap hound than with bashers bashers was not a super winning <laughs> winning card for me it's 
It was, I would almost put it in an underperformer uh, for me. And, um, but like playing scrap hounds, playing like gleaming, like just playing a bunch of grenadines and then topping it off with the metal thing, but even not a metal thing. Like the scrap hound turning into a 6-6 six six was just so much bigger than everything else in the format. It was just such a sweet deck and it fueled your shoal dredgers. There were just so many things going on in that deck that I really liked. And so I think that was one of my favorite decks and and a deck I I've I won with a lot. It almost it happened this week in fact where I played I played that Elysian deck and went 0-3, which had a whole bunch of good cards in it. And then I followed it up with a Stone Scar deck that had hardly any good cards. And then I went 7-1. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm winning any of these games with all of these bad cards in my deck. But it just <laughs> Yeah, I didn't just I didn't draft game. a lot of I didn't draft a lot of Stone Scar myself uh, in the format, but at the very beginning of the format when I did when I was experimenting with it, it was really fun. Um, and the curve was incredibly low. Like I would play just 15, uh, 15 sigils because all of my cards were, were really, really cheap. Uh, and, and it was just sort of somehow winning. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. The, the times that I drafted it, I, I don't know why I moved away from trying to draft stone scar, but, uh, but it definitely was fun. And, and when they, when they added in the two, two, the, that creates a 2-2 weapon when it dies for this last version of the format. And I think it's like at 10 times boosted now in the draft packs. That's even better. Like, that's a, one of the strongest cards Stone Scar had. And now it sort of plays into all of the themes, except that it's not a Grenadine. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, you were the one that turned me on to that deck. And then it also holds um, a, a place in my heart because uh, it was a deck that I kind of got into an argument on the main discord about it was um, you could listen to our previous show. It was the one where someone called me insane for saying that I, I would consider taking the bastion gatekeeper over a Mabel off delete pack one, pick one, but uh, then, uh, uh, but then I also said that stone scar was one of my most winning decks. And in my description of it, I mentioned the fact that like, metal thing was a great payoff for that deck and they're like well of course a, a deck that has a bomb on common is good but that you it's not supported a common i'm like i don't know what to tell you i it all the cards are bad it just wins a lot of games it's you know like i've been having success for it i like the deck i don't understand why you don't think a six six for one is <laughs> a good card but or, or another uh, way of thinking of it as a 6-6 um, six, six for yeah. 4 with haste, or um, whatever it's called in this game. Uh, <laughs> so it was one of my favorite decks. And and we'll go into sort of what this Jack format taught me, which we'll get to a little bit later. All right, okay. so uh, what card did you play that never did what you wanted it to? A relay point. Um, that was a card that I've drafted a couple of times and, and just never really managed to make it work. Uh, it's a, it's a, a two 
justice time relic that creates a 2-1 soldier when it comes into play, and then you can exhaust four of your units and sacrifice the relay point to make a 5-5 sentinel. Uh, it, uh, it seems like a great way to get a unit on the board early and then um, and then create a 5-5 late, which is a little bit like Okessa's audience, but you get a unit right away. Uh, but in practice, I ended up almost never having a board state where I could afford to exhaust four units, partly because my turn two play was a 2-1. And <laughs> it just, uh, I know I've seen it work. Uh, but I don't see a lot of people playing it. And I mean, it's an uncommon, so you're not going to run into it that often. And it's in Combray, which nobody wanted to play ever. Um, but it was sort of like a, a card that I wanted to successfully put in a deck. And it was I was never able to. It just never came together. And part of that is, is the fact that it's so hard to go wide in this format. Um, there's almost no support for it. There's Send for the Reserves and nothing else that creates more than one unit. So, well, I guess... Uh, that's not entirely true because uh, stairs beckoning um, those two cards, uh, and I, I and I drafted Combray a few times with stairs beckoning and sent for the reserves as many as I could put because that was why I was drafting Combray, but I never also got a relay point and made a five five out of it. So um, that's uh, I, I think that's the card. Yeah. 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 I relay point is not a card that I really ever played, um, so I agree with you. I for me, this is my kind of hot take. It's freaking martial efficiency. Uh huh. What a frustrating card to me. Like, huh. I I understand intellectually that martial efficiency is a great game winning card. That card never won me the game. Interesting. I played so many martial efficiencies, and either I didn't draw them, or I think part of my problem was I really had trouble playing it to its full value. Like, I had trouble not playing it as a plus three, plus three, does nothing else combat trick kind of thing. Yeah. So, like... I I think part of my problem was way too many times I would like pass my turn. Like I would attack, my opponent wouldn't block. So I'm like, well, I don't want to use my martial efficiency to just like do three extra damage and shrink their units. So then I'll just pass my turn with two power up. And then my opponent would go to kill my unit. And then I'd be like, oh, well, I'll just save my unit with my martial. I'll just use my best card in my deck to save my one two Valkyrie emulator or something uh -huh. like that. Yeah. And then not get like the game winning value from that card. And that yeah. was just a thing that I struggled with over and over and over again. And so I never, I, I don't know if ever once I had like the, that game winning amplified for eight martial efficiency take over the game. Thing with that and i definitely have played a lot of martial efficiencies and so it would this this was like my dirty little secret because i i talked like martial efficiency was the best card in, <laughs> in this set and i agreed when everyone else said it and it never ever was for me your resentment growing every time yeah yeah well uh i mean I, I, I uh, sympathize, but of course, martial efficiency was really great for me most of the time. 
And it was because of that, just those sort of situations that you're describing where I didn't play the martial efficiency to save some random unit, you know, and just kept it until it would wreck my opponent. Um, and sometimes that took a lot of discipline because it is there being a, a potential plus three, plus three. And so it feels like something that needs to happen. But um, yeah, it was re really the power of the card was when you didn't let your opponent force you to play it before it would win the game. Because um, good opponents would would try to make you play your martial efficiency uh, suboptimally all the time, uh, especially once people sort of realized how good the card was. And uh, and it often took like a lot of like hmm hmm ha hmm hawing uh, to to say no, I'm going to keep it in my hand. I think it'll win me the game later. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I was unable to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not difficult. <clears throat> Through the 18 years that this format lasted. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> all right. So then uh, what card made you groan when your opponent played it against you? So this is actually based on the answer that you're going to give. But I'm going to say Shock Troops. It's a 1-1 one, one for 1 Justice. And when you play any Amplify at all... Uh, you play a plus three, plus three weapon on it. So it's a four, four for one at its best. Uh, and I hated seeing this card because it's there. There are ways to kill it real fast before they can play an amplify. Um, but it is it, it, it's really hard for me to like use removal on a one one betting that my my opponent has built their deck well and will probably be playing uh, a consistent amount of Amplify to make the Shock Troops uh, activate. Uh, it's just so efficient, and it goes from 1-1 one, one to 4-4 four, four if you even Amplify once, which means a lot of sort of like random cards like Frostbite and uh, just... Or like even anything. Glove on 3. Yeah, Glove on 3 turns it into a 4-4. Four, four. Like, like Amplify cards that aren't super efficient just make the shock troops massive. So that was the one where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, uh, to play around this stupid thing. I'm just going to kill it by default if I can. Uh, and if I can't, I have to act as though they don't have Amplify because it'll just gonna, it's just going to destroy me uh, if they do uh, most of the time. Um, yeah, like, like trying to kill it with a weapon and them having, uh, and, then, and then them having a hardiness or something is just the worst. Yeah, yeah, that, that is really bad. Um, yeah, my my uh, as you foreshadowed, my my card was probably naval off the lead on two for almost all the exact same re reasons. Naval um, off the lead, the naval off the lead shock troop comparison is pretty interesting because naval off the lead, uh, obviously more expensive. Um, I think sort of less explosive in the sense that it was harder to get quite as big of a boost as fast, but had the potential to then get much bigger than Shock Troop because there yeah, was no, exactly. no cap. Um, but I think for me, part of the reason with Shock Troop was the fact that you were so incentivized to play X1 Heat in this format, I think really helped deal with shock troop and also um yeah i think that that was the main reason shock troop 
felt sort of less bad to me. Like there were just ways to deal with it. Or like, you know, if you were able to do it early enough, you could like play a weapon and kill a shock troop and then still have a weapon left over to possibly get more value from it. Um, And, you know, so... Uh, so I was always a little less worried about shock troops than Mabel obsolete. Yeah, but it, but I'm not saying that shock troop is a more dangerous card than Mabel Uh It just makes me agonize over the game state more than Elite does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I believe it. I no, that's definitely true. Um, and then <laughs> the the other one maybe would be. Uh, uh, a Valkyrie warped sludge blade. Yeah, it's pretty rough. That was just the worst. <laughs> You're just like when I, you know, I was thinking about it. It's really just like a a Valkyrie warped sludge blade is. I mean, I guess you're still you're drawing a card because you warped it, but you're like, well, it's just killing a unit, so it could have just been a send to market. But man, it's just like. The second you think you're fine, <laughs> your opponent just like Valkyrie warps the sludge blade and then totally turns the game around. And you're like, oh, that felt so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they can kill anything with it and they gain four life. It's a, it's a very good stabilizing effect. Yeah. And they, you know, in a sense, drew a card. Yeah. Yeah. And they drew a card. Yeah, well, they they did. They drew a card. Um, yeah, it's brutal. And because the card is is really not that great, if they don't Valkyrie warp it, it feels like cheating every time. Yes. All right. And then uh, next is: Was there a card that an opponent would play that made you think I absolutely cannot lose to this card? Yeah, this is an easy one for me. Is uh, Brash Flame Spewer? Uh, that's the zero one for one fire. Uh, it has flying. And it gets plus two strength if you if it has a weapon on it. Um, for me, this is a two one that occasionally works. You know, it's a two one flyer for one. That's 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 definitely above average, but not like something to write home about. And then it does nothing if you put, don't put a weapon on it. And so it feels to me like a card that should not be played. And so when my opponent played it, I was like, I got I gotta beat it. I know they're gonna be able to put a weapon on it, but that better not beat me <laughs> because it is a mistake to play that stupid card. Yeah, I agree. That it it's definitely a card. I don't know. I feel like this is a card that you're gonna say you've definitely played, but like. It's one of those cards where, like, as my deck gets more weapons, I'm like, huh, should I play a Bla- Brash Flame Spur in this card? And then I'm like, or in this deck, and then I'm like, ah, I don't think so. <laughs> I have I have come down against it almost every time, but I think I played it in one deck. Uh, but it was also a deck where I was short on playables because it took a while to find my factions or something. But I did have some weapons, and Blash, Brash Flame Spur was an option and so i ended up uh playing it but i don't know if that deck did very well and i would have been happy to play almost any other card yeah um i have an answer that is not technically uh an answer to this question but i think is in the spirit and that is frostbite and the reason it's not technically an answer because i have lost the game Every time my opponent has played a frostbite. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. 
but it has just felt so unfair to have lost the game to someone playing Frostbite in their deck every time it happens. Yeah. Uh, I don't... I think it's a solid card. <laughs> no, it's so ridiculous. It just should never work. And uh-huh. yet, for some reason, every time my opponent plays it, I have one big unit and a bunch of one ones, and they sure. have yeah. nine power. And I'm like, how did that just destroy my whole board and cause them to win the game? This situation shouldn't happen every single time, and yet, and yet it did. Yeah, it did. Also, they had an ancient machinist on the board, and it's a nine nine now. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Um, but a, a but a card that has been played against me, and then I I beat them, and uh, is sort of in the same spirit is the junk the junk obstructor that we talked about, where you're just yeah. like the one. I guess reckoning. they were like going really hard into like an aggressive deck or into Grenadines or something, but it just doesn't seem like doesn't seem worth it. Yeah, I mean, it has Plunder, and it says Berserk, but uh, just uh, it's hard to actually win a game after you've played a Junk-Up Structure, <laughs> no matter how strong a start it seems like. Yeah. All right, and then finally, uh, did this draft format teach you something that helped you improve your limited game? Or what? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I think it did. Uh, I think more than previous formats... Um, it taught me to evaluate cards for the format that I'm in rather than uh, evaluating them more in a vacuum for just how good they are in limited generally. And I think you have to do this. uh, I I think this is just about, has always been a valuable skill, but I think it was sort of amplified by how specific the, the threats were. Having Barricade Basher around meant that anything that could kill Barricade Basher one for one was much more valuable. Um, and having auto tread around meant that even though a lot of cards that had one, uh, one health were, were in a vacuum, good cards, uh, the fact that auto tread was around and then that there was other one power removal around meant that all of those cards could, could let you down and having too many of them in one deck left you very vulnerable. Um, so uh, the fact that Barricade Basher was a 5-5 five, five, and then also Kessa's audience made a 5-5 five, five, uh, meant there was this magic number where you needed to be able to deal with something that had 5 health and uh, you had to be able to deal with flyers because there were so many more and so anything that that, that specifically dealt with flyers was uh, a lot stronger than it otherwise would have been. For example, the 1-2 soldier that does 5 damage to something flying when it comes into play might not be that good in a lot of formats. But in this, I was pretty comfortable picking it and playing it main deck because there's almost always something that it could hit. Um, Stuff like that. Uh, My evaluation of the cards in this format very much uh, had to do with how... uh, with with how good they were against the other cards in the format and so whenever the format got changed uh i had to reevaluate how good cards were again uh which is interesting um it's a it's it makes uh it makes it feel like the format is genuinely dynamic uh i feel like last 
in the last format in set nine um, during the middle section where uh, where draft packs were were one and four and the main set was two and three and the packs were and the draft packs were so weak with so few playable commons I kind of had the attitude uh, mistakenly um, uh, that you just sort of had to get lucky uh, <laughs> and get, in order to get good cards um, but I think if I, but, but when you saw the results of the, of the big draft tournament during that time, uh, people like, uh, people like, um, oh, we had a on here, uh, not Gunner. Gunner, but Gunner won the whole thing, but also we, uh, <laughs> we had, we had Eric on, uh, I've just, I've just forgotten his streaming name. Oh, uh, uh... E-money e bags. E-money bags. We had e-money bags on who had done a specific analysis of the format, you know, um, or maybe this was the format before. I'm losing my mind. No, this uh, was the format going into it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, they won some major thing. No, this. I meant that. No, I meant he. It was the format of the draft championship. Okay, it was, and and, and he did very well. Um, and, and that was because they, he'd done a, a specific like analysis of the format and like which of these sort of bad cards in the draft packs were actually good because they played into the strongest themes and it was, you know, it paid off. I didn't do that and I didn't go into the draft, big draft, uh, uh, tournament with, a uh, with a really strong sense of, uh, of, of the most, of the strategies that would be most likely to be successful. So, um, but I did that more in this format and it paid off, you know, uh, like how, how, how do the answers line up against the threats? Uh, and, uh, and so I'm going to try to do more of that going forward, uh, is to take, a, is to not just evaluate cards on how good they are in draft in, in a sort of abstract sense, but really look at, um, how good they are considering what other people are likely to be trying to do um, and and how things line up. It's a lot of work for something that's supposed to be a fun hobby. But maybe I'll do it in the back of my mind rather yeah. than, like, make a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was an incredibly thoughtful answer, Hats. Oh, I thank yeah. you. And it uh, makes me feel like I'm not the only one learning something from this podcast. So oh, was- sure. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, I think my takeaway from this format is related and kind of what I was talking about um, uh, throughout this episode. But just like this format really showed me that or really highlighted slash reemphasized in me just how many correct answers there can be in draft. Like... Mm -hmm. There were multiple drafters that were that I respected that uh, that do well that you know and that had hugely disparate strategies for this format, just like shockingly so. You know, like you were drafting these crazy. You know, we did this early when I did like a. Uh, an analysis um, of the top cards that you, John Avon or Tyler Cheney and Collector were your top drafted cards. And like, 
you heavily drafted time. John heavily drafted, or Tyler heavily drafted primal, and um, and collector heavily drafted fire. And then, then you have like Shab writing articles about how Xenon was the best deck in the format. And then you go onto the Discord, and everyone's like, the only thing you should draft is Mavaloft deletes with call on allies. And then you had, you know, little old me who was like, I really think there's something to this like Stone Scar deck because you could get four scrap hounds in a draft because no one was picking it, and then it was bigger than a basher. And you could play enough little guys to chump block the basher until you can get your scrap hounds online and then you can play shoal dredgers and you know like every you know they were just and then um you know you ended up liking Argentport a lot but like cotillion was on that deck really early and just like posting all of these Argentport flyer decks from early on and it was just like really cool to see all of these really good players sort of with their own ideas of what worked for them and then showing that they could have success with that and that really, like, no, you know, it didn't really matter who was, like, shouting the lo- loudest. Like, every, you know, one of my frustrations is just, like, is people who, like, make it seem like their way is the only way. And uh, that's just true of <laughs> of me in, in general. I just hate people who think they're right about things. Um, but this format really reinforce that 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 my central belief <laughs> is true <laughs> this format really helped <laughs> reinforce yeah. that yeah that's um, good so so i yeah i think this was a really cool format and um i think this yeah it was a, a good i think this was a good set to do a sunset show about too i think a lot of interesting things came up in sort of reviewing this format yeah yeah, we hardly complained about auto tread at all, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, so then, oh, I think uh, let's not do spoilers. I think I think it's too late. Yeah, no, that's fine. We don't have to talk yeah. about spoilers. There's not that much to talk about yet, anyway. There's like one keyword and about a dozen uh, cards that we'll be seeing in draft. Um, yeah. I would prefer to talk about spoilers once there's something more substantial to dig our teeth into yeah all right okay so then we'll just end with our how many is too many this is a short one i didn't have too many cards this time okay but how many is too many bashers in a deck for me three i've seen people succeed with decks with more but not me (laughs) i know yeah there was supposed to talk on the discord about how some people said they would play you know uh what like 27 bashers or something and uh yeah or yeah 30 bashers and 15 power and i agree i played bashers were not cards that worked super well with multiples despite me trying uh multiple times i had a six basher deck before uh that failed spectacularly and um yeah okay so send to market pre-nerf pre-nerf uh Five is too many, but four is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so, uh, post nerf? 
post nerf, uh, two is too many. One is is fine. One or two, maybe two, two. But if you don't have a six drop that uh, that you're trying to top your curve with, but I find that they're way too clunky now. Okay, hardiness. Oh, hardiness. Uh, I mean, that really depends on what deck it's in. Uh, I think three is probably too many because you only need to play one hardiness to win the game. If you're if you're playing the kind of deck where hardiness wins the game. And uh, any deck where I've had three hardiness, I'm like, oh, well, I've got all these hardinesses in my hand, and now I'm going to lose. <laughs> and then, uh, speaking, I know this is our lightning round, but speaking of hardiness, do you think hardiness is one of those cards that went from... is going... or is going to vast, drastically change in its usability in future sets yeah it'll really depend on what it's being paired with there's no way hardiness would have been a top common if mabeloft elite wasn't in a set yeah but then there were some people that just liked it as a combat trick almost like as a metal it's fine but like it's if it's the sort of format where you're going to be uh sort of punching uh in with with uh, with units that are going to get blocked by something that's exactly the same size, then hardness is fine. It'll win some combats. But I don't know. It, it doesn't feel that good in my hand without uh, Amplify Synergy ever. Like, it might be an okay combat trick, but it's just no... Like, no matter how much you amplify it, um, it's it's no finest hour, you know? the <laughs> It just doesn't just doesn't do that much. And I've seen people playing hardiness in against me without Amplify Synergy, and they might save one of their units sometimes, occasionally, but it doesn't it doesn't dramatically affect the game, and almost any card they could have played instead of that hardiness would have been better. I think it's one of those cards where uh, the best-case scenario is very seductive. Uh, like, you've got this big, complicated combat where your opponent just barely blocks a whole bunch of stuff, and then you hardiness to save all of your units. Uh, in practical terms, I've never seen that happen. Okay. So now this is a personality t- test, Hats. Mm-hmm. Okay. So h- how do you use hardiness when you attack in, you have guaranteed lethal, your opponent has no open power? Do you still fully amplify? When you amplify, do you put it all on one unit or do you spread it around? You're going to have to describe this case to me again because I don't understand. <laughs> okay. You're attacking with four units. Uh-huh. Okay. There's no block. You have guaranteed lethal off of the hardiness by off amplifying hardiness? it. Because you only need to the... amplify it twice. Okay. But you have enough open power to amplify it six times. I see. Oh, I put the I put it all on one unit then. Okay, you put it all okay. Yeah. I just randomly click my units until I've amplified my full power. Okay. Yeah, no, I have to I actually have that situation and I don't know why. I don't know what it says about me, but I put it all on one unit. Okay. And I during that during it, I was like, I really should just amplify twice because that's all I need to get lethal, but like it just that also feels wrong. Yeah, no, that definitely feels wrong. That feels, yeah, no, no, that 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 feels like you're not willing 
to uh, show like let your star shine in the world that you're living in. <laughs> that feels <laughs> like if you didn't have to play. Like I get if you don't need to play the hardiness to have lethal. Uh, not playing it right because yes. it feels a little bit like you're rubbing it in your opponent's face that you also had this other card. Uh, but if you do have to play it, might as well play it for everything. Yeah. Yeah, but th that is a conundrum I ran up against a bunch where you're just like, okay, I've ample, <laughs> I've amplified the two units I need for them to survive the survive the blocks, but I have this four extra power, so I, I, that I don't know what to do with. So I guess I just start clicking after. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just be careful and don't click your opponent's units because you can hardiness on them. Yes. All right, and then uh, I I think finally the eternal question: auto tread or martial efficiency? I would take martial efficiency, uh, and I, I think auto tread is one of those cards that just that that when it wins, it wins so dramatically that it feels like the best card in the world. But honestly, when it comes down to it, I've I've won I've won more consistently by playing a martial efficiency than I do an auto tread strange as it may seem now that makes sense i mean auto tread i feel like always feels bad against you but man when that's in your hand it's a scary card yeah and it there are situations where your opponent is just playing big things and auto tread doesn't feel good at all yeah but it's not, not that it's a bad card it's super good i just there's I've I've I still think of it as situational removal. Yes, I agree. All right. I think we're going to end our show there. I did say in this at the start of the show that we do spoilers for set 11, but I think we're running long. We had a lot to say about this, the the end of this format. So we'll get on to that in the in the coming weeks. Um, but we're, we, we, I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about the, the new cards. And also by the time we record our next episode, we will have been able to play with them and have a much bigger list than, uh, what we have so far where we only have a handful of cards revealed so far. Yeah. All right. So cool. So that's our show. Uh, thank you again to all our patrons for making this show this show a success and for those of you who are not patrons a reminder to give us a five-star rating in review on itunes stitcher or google play you can join us in our discord there's a link in the show notes uh, you can also find these our seven win spreadsheet there we'll be setting up a new one with this new format coming up uh and it's always exciting at the beginning of a format to to look at the decks and what people are doing well with um, also a great place to talk about the, you know, the Discord's a great place to talk about the new format. People are always excited to talk at the start of a new format. Um, and then finally, please thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts. It really helps spread the show. I think Reddit is one of the main places people find content for Eternal. Um, so liking those posts and keeping it up near the top of the page for longer really helps out the show. So we appreciate everyone. The 12 of you who semi-consistently do that um and then don't forget to send all your seven deck lists you do this week to farming eternal at gmail.com and remember to keep on farming have a good night good night <laughs>